Hello and welcome to the Media Law Podcast with me, Colette Allen. This week I'll be joined with Paul, by Paul Rag to discuss the Naga Manchetti case, as well as Deborah Peckham from the Boston-based Burns and Leveson on, intellectual, on the intellectual property implications of the Lizzo row over the line, I just took a DNA test and turns out I'm 100% that bitch, from her hit single, Truth Hurts. So, Paul, Naga Manchetti. As is well known, the BBC breakfast presenter Naga Manchetti was disciplined by the broadcaster for her comments that were taken as criticism of US President Donald Trump. The incident was prompted by Trump's tweet in July of this year stating that four US congresswomen, all US citizens and three born in the US itself, should go back to the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came. BBC Breakfast hosted a Trump supporter to defend the comment, which prompted Manchetti's loaded analysis. Quote, Every time I have been told, as a woman of colour, to go back to where I come from, that was embedded in racism. No, I'm not accusing of anyone of anything here, but you know what certain phrases mean. End quote. Her host, Dan Walker, asked how she felt when she heard the president use such language. She replied, furious, absolutely furious. And I can imagine lots of people in this country will be feeling absolutely furious that a man in this position thinks it's okay to skirt the lines by using language like that. Manchetti suggested that Trump's use of language encouraged others to use it before concluding, quote, anyway, I'm not here to give my opinion. The clip went viral and the BBC itself promoted the interview on social media. But a viewer complained that Manchetti had gone too far in expressing her personal opinion as a BBC journalist launched the inquiry. Paul, what's the source of this impartiality we require from BBC newsreaders? Hi, Colette. So the... um... The source of this uh, for the BBC is um, the, what's known as the BBC uh, Agreement, uh, which is renewed uh, every so often uh, under the um, charter that was issued to the BBC to allow it to broadcast. The duty to be impartial on uh, political matters uh, is found in the BBC's uh, editorial guidelines and it reflects the obligation that all broadcasters have under the Communications Act of 2003. So how does this statute, the 2003 statute and the BBC statutes, fare in a world of fake news today? Because surely at some point there's a duty on BBC presenters to call a spoon a spoon and call out racist language when they see it. Does this law not seem to be protecting hate speech by promoting extreme views under the guise of fairness? Well, I think that's certainly the view that all those who objected to the BBC's original decision uh, would take that actually all that was happening here was that uh, Nagy Manchetti was being uh, penalised um, for expressing a view that I think everybody, all, certainly all right-minded minded people would hold uh, about Donald, Donald Trump's objectionable comments. I think what the BBC was trying to do, though, was to separate out the racist uh, content of what Donald Trump had said um, from the impartiality obligation to essentially say that a, a presenter is always under an obligation to remain impartial, even if confronted by racism, and that in order to draw attention to the racist uh, angle, they would have to bring in somebody else, uh, some kind of commentator or expert to do that for them. Now, clearly that's ridiculous. 
and uh, I'm pleased to say that the BBC uh, realised how ridiculous it was to uphold this complaint about impar impartiality and to reverse its original decision. Do you think there's any scope in the arguments against Dan Walker and the fact that the complaint was made against Nagamanchetti and that effectively prevented the BBC from making inquiries against a white male co-host who was prompting her to answer these questions in the first place? Well, you're absolutely right. This is the other problem with the Nagamanchetti uh, ruling. Uh, the optics of it were appalling and the BBC didn't entirely redeem itself um, Originally, it said the reason it pursued the complaint against Manchetti and not Walker was because Walker wasn't mentioned in the complaint. Of course, the Guardian revealed that to be a lie when it showed that Walker had in fact been part of the original uh, complaint. So the reason that the BBC didn't investigate Dan Walker is not entirely clear, and the whole thing's been made worse by the poor handling uh, that the, both complaints have received. Do you think there's any correction that can be made in law to this, or is it just going to be a, a, a matter of procedure going forward? I don't think it requires a correction in law because the duty of impartiality does not mean that the BBC is prevented from uh, signalling uh, racism when racism appears. It's still entitled... Uh, to call out racism um, but what it does need to do what the BBC certainly needs to do is to make sure it communicates this to its staff and its presenters and the world at large and in fact I think the BBC has tried to do this uh, in the various statements that it's released um, to say that uh, it has no problem in calling out racism. Thank you. Many of you will be familiar with the artist Lizzo and her hit single, Truth Hurts, which opens with the iconic line, I just took a DNA test and turns out I'm 100% that bitch. The phrase has become a rallying cry for female empowerment and self-love all over the world. So it comes as no surprise that Lizzo wishes to trademark it for clothing and entertainment purposes. But the issue is, someone else is claiming to have come up with the line. The London-based rapper Mina Lioness tweeted the phrase, quote, I just did a DNA test and found out I'm 100% that bitch back in February 2017. It went viral. Lizzo denies ever having seen Mina's tweet, claiming instead that she was inspired by a meme she saw on Instagram that simply said, quote, I'm 100% that bitch. There is contention over whether two male writers who had previously worked on another track with Lizzo, which featured a very similar line to that in Truth Hurts, should actually take credit for the line. They have even admitted that they were inspired by Mina's tweet and have said that if in the event of a successful claim against Lizzo, they would share the proceeds with the London-based rapper. Beyond celebrity gossip, the issue raises some interesting questions for intellectual property law in the meme age. I'm joined now by Deborah Peckham, an IB law specialist from the Boston-based firm Burns & Levinson. She has been quoted saying that merely tweeting a phrase does not give one legal monopoly over it. Deborah, why is this? Well, because you're really sort of getting into the weeds a little bit on different aspects of IP law. But tweeting a phrase or saying something publicly doesn't give you any rights to a short phrase. 
if you were to give, for instance, a full speech to a, um, you know, some lauded uh, grouping of people, you would own the copyright in the entire contents of that speech. But at least in the U.S., the copyright law is pretty clear that a short phrase, something that's just a catchy thing, is not in itself copyrightable. And I think what's being asserted here, at least in part, is somebody wants to be able to say, hey, I own it, and I can keep everybody else from using it unless they come to me to get a license. Now, there's a, there's a flip side to this, which is whether or not putting aside the copyright issue and whether or not someone can own a monopoly in just a short phrase as a copyright matter is whether somebody could take that phrase and use it as a trademark. A trademark is different from a copyright. Trademark basically identifies to customers out in the world that a particular item to which the, cop, the, to which the phrase is attached comes from a specific um, source. So if you think of probably one of the most famous short phrases that's trademarked, it's uh, just do it from Nike, right? So just do it is a brand. People see that and that it's attached to a piece of clothing or an athletic shoe and people or a box for an athletic shoe and people go, oh, I know where that comes from. It comes from Nike. I trust Nike. I'm going to buy that shoe as opposed to the one right next to it that comes from another source because I want the Nike shoe. If Lizzo or somebody takes that short phrase and uses it to sell something like a CD, a record album, or t-shirts, she can do that and own the trademark and she can stop other people from using the trademark in the same way. So she could be the first to sell t-shirts under that short phrase and she would be, she could be accorded at least under U.S. law, under trademark law, the right to do that. But that doesn't necessarily mean she can stop everybody from using the phrase when they're tweeting or when they're doing other creative things with it. So the trademark is, is just identifies a source of something. The copyright gives you a right basically to stop everybody else from using it in any way. And under copyright law, it's, very, it's going to be very difficult to protect that phrase. But under trademark law, you can if you're the first person to commercialize it. So Lizzo would be the first person to commercialize it because she attached it to a product. It seems that way, as far as we know. At least that's the claim she's making in the application she has filed with the USPTO. And even with everyone being able to see that Mina Lioness's tweet did go viral, you can see the retweets very clearly, she can never claim the trademark because by simply tweeting it, no. you're not putting it onto a product. That's right. By simply tweeting it, you're not putting it on a product and you're probably not therefore entitled to the monopoly that the trademark world would give to you. Now, there could be there could be people on Twitter who are so f- famous as a source of entertainment that maybe their name is a brand. Um, so Lizzo certainly has trademark rights, for instance, in her name, and it could be that the, the, the original tweeter, I don't know because I'm not culturally aware enough, that the, Mina the, Linus. <laughs> the original tweeter is also adequately famous that maybe her name but probably not the phrase itself, because that, that is just something she said in her Twitter feed. Do you think that there's any scope for the argument that trademark law actually needs to play catch up to how we now create brands in the digital age? Because quite often, young teenagers will make memes, they will become incredibly famous, and people have monopolized off them. So you have, um, for example, Dan Daniel was a famous phrase that came out a couple of years ago. And I believe there's now a trademark under Dan Daniel LLC. It's an act, the person who created it's making money out of it. 
So it is possible to trademark things like tweets and vines and memes. Do you think it should be easier to be able to trademark that considering how often people are now creating brands today? So I think I think it actually is pretty easy. Now, I don't I know about Damn Daniel and I think Damn Daniel clearly could be a brand associated with kind of an entertainment service, right? The mm-hmm. the, the the video that went viral was entertaining and had he continued to create videos like that under the damn Daniel meme. He, he would absolutely have trademark rights under damn Daniel, assuming he was prominently using damn Daniel either in the, either in the sound or in the branding of it. So I think it's more about educating people about what it is they can and can't do. I, one thing where I think the law could evolve and we might see this in the case that's currently brewing involving Lizzo is on the copyright side. Because right now, copyright's pretty clear in the U.S. that you can't, you can't copyright, you can't have a monopoly under a copyright theory for a short phrase. But there, there is a sort of competing uh, notion around whether or not, um, if the, the way I would argue the case for the people who are trying to claim copyright in the phrase is I would say that even though it's short, it's... Um, it sort of transcends because it's like a it cre- going back to what we were talking about earlier about the fact that we're sort of in this age where um, everybody now is communicating in whatever it is 240 characters. It's sort of a crystallizing phrase. It's like a central theme, and so maybe um, under some sort of copyright theory that would focus more on the importance of that one phrase in the context of the meme age, you might be able to convince a judge somewhere that that really should be copyrightable. We need to rethink that. So it used to be that people would look at whether or not it was an infringement of a copyright in a book, for example, if you took only two lines or a couple of paragraphs out of something that was thousands of pages long. And what the, and what the case law says is it can be an infringement that can be an infringement of copyright, even a very short amount, if it's like the crystallizing moment of the novel. So, um, you know, if you took, this is probably a little oversimplified, but if you took the phrase from Gone with the Wind, frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn, which is a, a short phrase, It is, but it is kind of the thing mm-hmm. in the book, and you used it without permission of the, whoever owns the copyright at this point, there might be a copyright violation there, even though it's very short, because it's so such an important part of the novel. So by, you know, by analogy, you could try to argue that, yes, Your Honor, even though this is a short phrase, it's the thing that made Lizzo or the original tweeter so, you know, so culturally prominent at the time, and somehow maybe the copyright law ought to evolve to sort of address the fact that, hey, people can now communicate in much shorter ways that are, that ought to be protectable because, you know, it was, you know, I don't know, a hundred characters out of what could have been just 240. Like the most important thing she said in a whole year of tweeting was this one phrase. And since it was so pivotal, maybe we should give it some kind of copyright protection. Um, I think that would be a very novel argument but I can see somebody trying to sort of say, hey, technologically things have evolved, so the law needs to evolve with it. 
And on, but on the trademark side, I'd say, I think it's more uh, just a way of trying to educate people that if they want to look, if you think it's so novel and new and you want to monetize it, file a trademark application because that that's pretty easy. And I think the law actually would protect you. You just need to know enough to be able to exercise your rights before the person or owner right, right. And I guess it's it's striking an interesting balance, especially in the way that these phrases become so culturally important. Is people repeating them and using them, and memes getting passed around different group chats, and people being tagged in them in different ways. So you need, in many ways, other people to be copying that phrase in order for it to get its significance. The significance you're saying it it, it takes on, even though it's so short. Right. And so in that sense, you'd you'd think that Lizzo would want a trademark and not a copyright That's because right. she'd want people to be repeating it. That's right. And you bring up another part of the whole sort of argument that needs to be made is there's a, there's this policy argument around, hey, look, if we let people just monopolize certain phrases or anything, you know, inventions, you can talk about patents as well, then we're, mo- we're removing some ability for people actually then to use it and to, and to creatively build upon it. So... If we allowed people a copyright in every sort of catchy phrase that they came up with on Twitter, it would really kind of dampen down the ability for people to use it and use it freely. Um, but in either case, of course, you could come up with a licensing scheme, but that's just impractical, right? Like who on Twitter is going to stop and say, hey, hey, Lizzo, can I use this? Yeah. Is it okay yeah. or if I pay you a penny? So I think that public policy reason would work really hard, would sort of push really hard back against granting any kind of monopoly in using the words as opposed to the brand. Like if she wants to go out and, and sort of develop a whole line of clothes and call it 100% that bitch, I think U.S. commerce would be like, great, we want you to do that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that you and I can't repeat it or talk to each other or snicker over it or right. talk about what it means to us from a cultural perspective. But we couldn't put it on a T-shirt. Correct. Exactly. Right. right. she's going to beat us to the punch. Right. And somebody else could have beaten her to the punch, and even though she made a whole song out of it, it would be an argument about whether or not somebody's entitled to it. Right. Right? Yeah. So, Great. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. If you ever have any questions that you want me to discuss on Newscast, please get in touch on Twitter, at Media Law Podcast. Tune in next week. I'll be talking all things Wagatha Christie and also about revenge porn. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>